Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, hours away from uh, San Diego, but uh, wanted to leave you with a new show. Uh, we've got R.J. Ryan with us uh, talking about the joiners. You might remember the joiners being in 3D a few years ago. His and Dave Marquez's excellent book, uh, Dystopian Future, that uh, speaks as much about the present as it does the future. Uh, very interesting, uh, twisted soap opera. Well, R.J. is here to talk about it because... Boom Studios uh, is uh, representing the joiners now in full color and in two dimension. So uh, Marquez had to uh, kind of uh, play a bit with uh, the visuals to uh, adapt it to the two dimensional form, the traditional form. And RJ talks about that. And we also talk about some uh, uh, TV work that he's got coming up and just his thoughts on uh, what's going on currently in the comic book adaptation business when it comes to film and television. Great conversation to start things off on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are great deals happening now at InStock Trades, and uh, you should take advantage of them on things like uh, The United States of Murder Incorporated, Trade Paperback Volume 1, Truth, from Brian Bendis and Mike Oming. 50% off, it's just $9.99. You can get The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Trade Paperback, the Colson Protocols, uh, great writers, great artists. Uh, Mark Guggenheim actually doing uh, wonderful work on that book. 50% off, $8.99. Reach back for classic Doom Patrol from the 90s from Grant Morrison. Uh, book two, the trade paperback is 50% off, $14.99. From Mark Miller, a great series from Image, Huck, book one, All-American. 50% off, he and uh, Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, 50% off at $7.49. Just a few of the great books that are available now at InStockTrades.com. Check out the deals for yourself at InStockTrades.com. Before we get started, uh, you might have heard that uh, R.J. Ryan, uh, we call him Josh, and uh, Dave Marquez uh, did a book a, a few years ago with Daniel Quantz and Blake Libel. It was a book called Syndrome. You might have heard recently that Blake Libel uh, was arrested for murder. And that's kind of chilling because, uh, you know, uh, Syndrome was, uh, was a book about a serial killer. Uh, because the case is open and ongoing, RJ uh, can't talk about the details on the record. I'm sure people might have read articles and expected maybe that uh, that might come up in a conversation currently with uh, Josh. But, uh, you know, he can't talk about it. So, uh, you know, we understand, we respect that, and there's a lot of positive things to talk about instead. And it's a, it's a very fun conversation. Let's uh, talk now with R.J. Ryan on Word Balloon. It's R.J. Ryan, although we call him Josh because we're, we're friends. So, uh, Josh, welcome back to Word Balloon. It's, it's nice to have you back after so long. John, it's great to be here. The last time I was on was in early 2014, so it was long overdue for me. I love talking to you. Thanks, man. Likewise. And uh, congrats on you and Dave uh, bringing back the joiners uh, in, a, in a different format. It was uh, certainly... One of the the highlights of the, of the format originally was that it's a three D was a three D book, and now it's being uh, told in a, a more two you know standard two dimensional way. Um, was this always the plan? Not at all. Um, the joiners originated as a pitch strictly as a three D book, and I will say that it was pitched as a twenty five dollar book, and after the book it got bumped up to a thirty dollar price point. But it was always pitched as a standalone all 3D graphic novel, and that mutated into a process where 
Dave and Dave's wife, Tara, and I were very involved in actually making the 3D work. We didn't send it off to anybody. So we leave that in early 2014 when the joiners came out. And uh, something that was always on the table for me, between me and Dave is that we had the second product, which would be releasing the graphic novel in a digital format in 2D. And our plan was always release it all at once and uh, have it in black and white. Mm-hmm. And that was something we put in front of Phil Sablik at Boom Studios, who's the president of publishing, and Stephen Christie, who is the original editor on the book, the 2014 book, and was the editor-in-chief of Archaea, which is where the book came from originally. We mm-hmm. were Archaea-based creators. And uh, that that was something we prepared and got ready, and it never got greenlit. And I think the reason it never got greenlit from what I hear from Stephen, is that he always felt this book could really spread its wings if it was available in a more economically affordable, more contained price point. I mean, so what we're doing this summer is releasing four issues that comprise the entirety of the $30 3D graphic novel. We're releasing them in color for four bucks a pop. So there's considerable savings if you want this story, if you want to experience Dave's art. And Dave and I supported that decision, but it wasn't the original vision for how we wanted to go out with the 2D and digital and secondary print cycle of this book. But we've welcomed the fact that Boom is spending money on this, and they brought with that effort, you know, we brought in a uh, really wonderful colorist in Kelly Fitzpatrick, and her collaboration with Dave is something that is delighting us and delighting everyone behind the scenes. You know, it's great to reread it again because um, it had been a while, and certainly I've I've read a few comic books in between, so it's uh, it I think it plays fine in two di- uh, dimensions. And if, if anything, um, the the story is still strong, the art is still strong, and I and I think um, it is a good experience. And as you say, it's it's going to be a more reasonably priced uh, compared to the thirty dollar uh, graphic novel that you're reading in three D. It was, I mean, honestly, we we spent a lot of time in uh, both uh, the phone conversation and also the panel we did at C2E2, talking about the 3D process that you guys kind of figured out on your own and the way you did it. It was ridiculously ambitious, and I think you succeeded, but it is nice to see that the story and art are able to stand on its own in the 2D format as well. I think, you know, personally, I'm someone who was buying comics and enjoying them long before I ever did one myself. And the 3D price, the three price point for the 3D edition of this book, 30 bucks is a lot to spend on one comic book. I mean, I, I have trouble spending that on a comic book, and everyone should. So I like that there's a sample size that, you know, starting now is available pretty much to anyone who walks into a comic book store, no matter what your budget yeah. is. It's wonderful. No question. Yeah, man. And and also. I think it's interesting timing that you're putting this out because I just spoke to Tom King and I've been mm. talking to him about his vision uh, miniseries yep. or maxi series, one, I guess. Wonderful. This, is, this is a breakout book in 2016. I'm very impressed with Tom King as a writer. He's awesome. I agree with you. But I also think this is kind of the flip side of that story because, again, we've got a very dysfunctional family that uh, there's a lot of secrets and a lot of um, – uh, tension that that comes through and in, in right away in the first chapter for new readers to it that um, I would say that if you like the vision and you like that kind of 
combination of family dysfunction with a sci-fi background, you will find a lot to like in the joiners in that same way. I never made the connection between those two books, and I've been following the vision success uh, this year really closely, and I never put that together. <laughs> but oh, thank you. you. That's, I, I, I'm flattered, and I'm sure Dave is flattered, too, that you compare us to that. I mean, my entry point for this book as a consumer, uh, when I put myself in the consumer shoes, is I have to be like, and I think Boom Studios and Arcade are this way, too oh, Dave is doing Civil War, and then he's got this creator on book coming out almost concurrently with Civil War. What's up with that? What's the story there? And I hope that the curious people who discovered Dave Marquez through Marvel kind of find their way, some of them find their way to our book. Agreed. And also, a lot like a Stuart Immerman uh, creator-owned project compared to his mainstream stuff, the, the art style is different. It needs, and, and, and again, it certainly fits the story. But I also appreciate that, and it just shows you how talented Dave is as well, that these are two very different art styles, but both do an exceptional job of storytelling, and I, and I think fit, fit each project. This is kind of more of for people who need a reference, almost like Dean Motter, who uh, mm. is, is you know Mr. X uh, yeah. for old-time uh, comic book fans. I think they'll find a kinship to uh, Motter's art and, and the way Dave is doing the, the Joiner's book. And also... Uh, another another hook for people that might find this interesting, um, as as you guys described it, and it didn't even occur to me when we originally talked about the book, but this is like kind of the dystopian Jetsons, yeah, in, <laughs> which is great, and it didn't even occur to me, but you know, certainly knowing that going into reading it in the two dimensions, it's it's certainly obvious, and with all the Hanna Barbera rebooting that, that DC is doing right now, people might find that interesting and another reason to be curious and maybe pick up this first issue. I think the reason that DC hasn't attempted a revamp of uh, the Jetsons is because this book exists. I mean, we use the Jetsons as a clear reference point. You don't need to be a fan of the Jetsons to get, you just need to understand that the Jetsons was a animated future family sitcom with some surface visual trappings that we take a completely different point of view on. Um, but yeah, Absolutely right. Yeah, uh, no, I like it. And also, here's another thing that's like suddenly come into the pop culture world that maybe, you know, obviously didn't exist when you guys put out the book, but also Silicon Valley. I mean, and, and I think from the business mm. side, I, look, give give people the, the 10 cent pitch on what the joiners is. I've kind of given some some comparisons and stuff, but you 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 let people know as much as you want in terms of introducing them to this story. Sure. Um the joiners is a look at a futuristic and prosperous on the surface uh, family in, you know, set about five decades from now. And uh, I mean, the big idea with the book was always that the reader was going to have a seat at the breakfast table as this family falls apart and they fall apart in a hopefully visually interesting way. I mean, that's why I've got a partner in Dave Marquez who can actually pull off some interesting stuff on the page but uh, you're not meant to like these people. I guess I need to say that off the top. You're not meant to like these people. You're meant to uh, spend time with them and see them for who they are um, and see them for the mistakes they make and see them for how the choices they make have a way bigger impact than you might expect initially. And uh, I, what I do want to say about the book, since we've divided up a graphic novel into four sections, 
you're going to see a progression across the series over the next three months, four months, where the book, the individual issues just get better and better because they are building to a novelistic conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very proud of that. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the special collaboration between Dave and Kelly Fitzpatrick, who's, all, who's one of his friends and in his peer group in Portland. And he brought her up for the job. It, it was his choice entirely as to who would color this style of work by him. And uh, their collaboration really kicks into gear in the third issue. I think that's from the cover to every single page. I'm blown away by how that looks, and I can't believe I'm involved in a comic book that looks that good. Uh, I don't think, I, I don't think the extent of the symphony that they're performing is fully evident in the first issue. I do want readers to hang in there to get their money's worth. I understand. I I, I would say that another good comparison is uh, Ordinary People, mm. the, the the movie from the early '80s, Robert Redford with uh, Donald Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, Timothy Hutton. Um, the, the, man, it's an old movie, movie now that I think of it. The movie reference that Dave and I threw around when we were making the original book was The Ice Storm by Angler. Sure. That was, that was the one that we talked about a lot and uh, connected with the most. But American Beauty, Ordinary American People. American Beauty, too, yes. I mean, when you said Ice Storm, I thought of American Beauty as well, of course. Yeah, Magnolia. There's some stuff yes. like that in there. Uh, those, those are the... I, those were the movies we were watching to make sure we weren't repeating them exactly. Uh, but, you know, the story, I, I, I spent all day today looking at reviews of this book, and some people hate the story, and some people love it. And everyone loves the work by Dave. I mean, Dave is a crowd-pleasing talent, and it's a real, it's not a surprise where he's taken his career in the six years that I've been working with him. It's not, I'm, I'm the least surprised of anyone that he is, uh, you know, driving shotgun on the biggest Marvel event in five or six years. It's no surprise to me at all. He's awesome. He's an amazing person. Absolutely. And I think also, um, I, I get where some critics may not want to read this kind of story because it is kind of a complicated, it's a hard story. And like you said, there are characters that, no, they're not very nice. You don't want to like them, Ugh. nor should you. They're bar- they're. They're, they're not nice people. But um, Dave's art, as simple as it is, th- there's a – these are all very cold people that, mm. that are, are in, in some ways very emotionless. And I think uh, Dave's art supports that. And I think a lot of his kind of blank uh, face, facial artistic choices fit the characterization that you're writing as well. Well, yeah, and I'm in the position where I know what Dave's doing after Civil War II and uh, it's <laughs> – pretty it hasn't been announced yet i think it's really cool i think it's as different from the joiners as joiners was from syndrome as miles morales is from iron man uh Mm -hmm. this guy makes very very interesting choices and uh, i do take credit for some of his career I've, i've helped him in a lot of spots and advised him in a lot of interesting turns but i think also Brian Bendis should take some credit for where Dave has gone, and certainly Dave's wife Tara has been very involved and been an incredible partner to him. So it does take a village to create a Dave Marquez, is what I want to tell people. <laughs> he, he didn't just roll out of bed and be brilliant, kill it, kill it. Yeah, he's he's been supported by some cool people, and he's also uh, taken this very seriously, he's taken his job very seriously. Now, what the Joiners is, 
is a book that Dave created in between the raindrops of drawing big Marvel projects like Iron Man and uh, Miles Morales, The Ultimate Spider-Man. And also, you know, a year ago, Dave did a whole range of uh, publicity pieces for Marvel. A lot of this stuff is happening simultaneous to the joiners being pulled together. And particularly with this 2D version, Dave was the showrunner. Dave was my boss in, in many ways on this version because it was so important for him to click with Kelly and for their collaboration to kick into gear, and it does. I don't think it's fully in gear in this first issue. I think it really comes together by the middle of this piece. And by the end, they're just killing it. It's amazing. But uh, you're, what you're seeing with these four issues is uh, a project really led by Dave Marquez, which is exciting. That's great. And I and also, I love the marriage between Archaea and Boom. I think it <laughs> really? really helps. Yeah. Well, I do. I don't know. And, I, you know, you might know more behind the scenes than I do. But I think it's great because I think it's only – helped boom and 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 i think it's it's i i think it's helped both i think from a distribution standpoint it must have helped archaea in terms of getting in a few more stores um and and i think that it so far at least from a quality standpoint i mean i've, I've liked a lot of boom books i've liked a lot of archaea books i i just think that it's been um at least from from a at least an outsider standpoint beneficial because we've gotten a lot of really quality products out there and uh, hopefully it's getting into more stores i mean i'm I'm always fortunate josh i'm i'm in a good city that supports a lot of independent books mm. and, and 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 all the publishers it's not hard for me to go into a, uh easily a dozen literally a dozen stores in chicago the city proper and also the suburbs and find uh stores that are carrying your guy's product so you know, again, I, I, I can only say that, you know, I li- at least live in an area where, you know, this stuff is available. It's a crowded field out there, and I can appreciate that. And I think, obviously, you you know, both Boom and Archaea have probably had to be more selective in terms of what they're able to release because cool. of the possible, you know, uh, return on their investment and stuff. I don't know, but the good news is, I, I mean... I talked to Ali Masters about his uh, his Boom series, and I thought that was exceptional. And I think The Joiners is another exceptional series that, again, if if I didn't like it, we wouldn't be talking. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. People people always ask me, it's like, how come you don't do more critiques on your show? And how come we don't hear about the stuff you don't like? And it's like, the stuff I don't like, you won't hear on Word Balloon. I mean, it's, uh, it's not a rah-rah show. It's <laughs> a, no, I find this book interesting, and I want to go beyond what I've read. That's why we do these interviews. And I think The Joiners is another book that's worthy of people's attention. Yeah, The Joiners is a weird book because it was incubated and produced and conceived and put together under the Archaea umbrella. And then a few weeks before we went to press, or before we were to start the press process of printing this book in China, uh, the acquisition happened, the Archaea office was shut down, everybody moved across town to Boom, uh, and Stephen who edited the book, Stephen Christie, his role dramatically changed where he now works at 20th Century Fox at their deal there and is very involved in the movies. And this was kind of the last Stephen Christie book out of the Archaea content factory. And I mean, here's the thing. I've been to conventions supported by Archaea, supported by Boom. What you see at Boom, and this is 
this is the science of comic books that eludes me. I don't quite understand how this works. What you see at the Boom Booth is they're doing tremendous, incredible sales at the Boom Booth on single issues. They are really good at selling those. And it makes sense to put the joiners in single issues because who knows how to move them? They know how to get them on the shelves. And they're much, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that Bill Sablik has an easy job. I think that guy has an incredibly hard job that only, yeah. a, only a handful of people on the face of the earth know how to do what he's doing which is turn over this monthly periodical publishing business based on independent fiction. I mean, that's what this is, an independent art, independently yes. created art. It's uh, in Shan Waters and what she's doing at Boombox. It's all very impressive and, and beyond my pay grade. But it, I see how single-issue joiners make sense under Boom Studios and the $30 graphic novel made a lot of sense when Arkea was a freestanding company now just about numbers and collectability here we printed more of the hardcover than we're printing of the individual issues but we're not going to print more of the hardcover i mean they've still got them you can get them on amazon if you're listening to this it's about 23 bucks on amazon you can probably find a used copy cheaper but we're not making any more of those this story is going to live on really on comicsology and however the singles are collected Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I understand. And I mean, again, you're right. And Boom is facing kind of a more challenging market than when it came out ten, 10 years ago. In fact, it's worthy of exploring with both Ross Ritchie and, and Philip, for that matter. I'd love, because, to, I'd love to hear you talk to those guys. They're interesting guys. Yeah, it's been a, well, it's been a while since I've talked to both. And I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw uh, Philip at a show. I, I usually see Ross every San Diego. And uh, no, I admire both of them. I think they're they have excellent taste, and I think um, what I've always appreciated from day one with with Ross and Boom is he's always looked for the unconventional, mm. and I think that's terrific. And it was certainly at a time back in two thousand five or six when Boom started, uh, mm. when you know, God, there were more than enough superhero books out there. What else have you got for us in the comic book world? And I think, you know, he immediately hit other genres right away, had top creators working with him, and then also was, you know, willing to work on, you know, just just put out challenging stuff. And I was, God, I was happy as hell when Two Guns uh, was sold as a movie. I mean, it was an excellent Stephen Grant comic book, but it was great that it uh, finally found its way on uh, as a movie as well. Um, and again... What I've always appreciated about Arkea, too, and Stephen uh, Christie's vision, was he just, again, excellent taste and unconventional stories. And, and, and also putting them out very high quality. So as you say, the, the 3D Joiners is still out there for people to get either via Amazon or, or get it secondhand or, or find it at some stores that might still have copies and stuff. That's great. I, you know, I think that's wonderful. But, I'm, but I also am glad and hope that this version finds a new audience and, and because it is worthy. And also it finds the right audience because as you say, it's, um, it's not a book for everybody, but it's a really strong character driven book. And I think, uh, again, you're right. Dave's, Dave's art is excellent, but you know, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> you wrote a, you wrote a really yeah. good story too. Well, they're printing it again. So I must've done something right. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. No, that's true though, too. And it's, uh, that's another thing. Man, I mean, a lot of, I mean, and certainly in some cases, we're seeing stuff from like 10 years ago or even longer 
that's finding itself in print again with a different publisher and stuff. But, you know, this obviously it's more recent and everything. And I think it's a strong story and I think it's worth the worthy, you know, of being out there and maybe in a format that is more accessible to a different audience. Hooray for Ross Ritchie, Phil Sablick, and Stephen Christie. Thank you, guys. I like you guys. You know, I'm going to send you yeah, some man. cupcakes soon. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you were telling me off the air that you uh, you went back to Portland, and uh, or you went to Portland, I should say, and you, you, you hooked up with Dave directly, obviously, to work on, uh, on I'm assuming, you know, reformatting this and yeah. going over but yeah, tell me about uh, tell me about your visit to Portland. Let me tell you about my visit to Portland. I've made two visits to Portland now, and this is this entails a pilgrimage to the comic book capital of America. It certainly and, is. Uh, you know, I'm I'm up there to spend time with my friend and collaborator Dave Marquez and his family. And uh, yeah, so most recently, six weeks ago, I took the train from Los Angeles, where we're talking. I'm talking to you from. I took the train. Amtrak to Portland round trip to go spend time with Dave and we worked a little on the book and uh, I went to Dave's baby shower which was at Brian Bendis's house hosted by Brian and Elisa Bendis and uh, I got to spend some time also with Kelly Fitzpatrick who is the new colorist on Bitch Planet going forward for Kelly Sue DeConnick and uh, Val Delandro and uh I had actually met Kelly the, the previous time I went to Portland in 2014, but it was exciting to, she had produced a lot of work since the time that I met her the first time. And it was exciting to say hello to her and talk to her and bring her a nice gift and thank her for being involved in the project. But I also, you know, I got to go to Bendis' house and, you know, this is a guy who I feel a great deal of affection for, not just because he's one of the, living legend entertainers in the comics field. I mean, there's no question about it. And that goes to the TV shows and the Bendis tapes on Suntress Word Balloon, <laughs> and it goes to, uh, you know, hundreds of comics I've read by him. It's been nothing but a thrill to see him and Dave gel and become this awesome creative unit that sells a lot of copies and puts a roof over people's heads and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, he put on a really wonderful, loving, beautiful party for my friends and for his friends, for Dave and Tara. And, uh, you know, also regaled us with some pretty eye-opening stories from the showbiz world that could never be told on Word Balloon. (laughs) (laughs) But were really hilarious and funny and, and, you know, had me uh, grabbing my ribs in pain because they were so funny. And, uh, you know, I just... I think it's really special and interesting what's going on up there in Portland between, oh, there's so many cool creators up there. When you spend any amount of time up there, you're going to have a great comic book experience. I did have dinner with uh, Chris Sabella, the rising star writer of things like Welcome Back and uh, what's his Eisner-nominated project, uh, Hi, I'm forgetting the name of his other book, that's still great. Uh, and uh, got to visit with Matt Fraction, and here's some of his. We had a real fireside chat with Matt Fraction, just like your show, because he was sitting right next to Bendis' fireplace and telling me all of his plans for his future projects. And, I mean, that guy is amazingly creative. It's incredible yep. what, he's up to, what he's up to on his own. 
apart from what Kelly's doing, Kelly Sue's doing is incredible, but what he's got going is really ahead of its time. It's very exciting to experience that up close and for him to be so generous with his time while I was up there. I did also, of course, separate from the festivities, I did go and spend an afternoon in Dave Marquez's studio and watched him, you know, work on Civil War Two. That's his life right now. He's having a baby soon, but but he has yeah. he has intense deadlines associated with Civil War Two and I got to see him lay down some inks and it's electrifying what he's up to and what I mean, here's the thing about Civil War Two. There's a lot more to come. <laughs> I think there's there's stuff that everyone's going to be talking about. I'm not even saying I know what, what exactly what this stuff is, but in the very near future, as this series reveals itself to the public, people are going to be talking about it and arguing about it with the same intensity that they did with the Mark Miller, Steve McNiven version from 10 years ago. I promise you that. That's cool. That's excellent, man. No, I'm really, I'm glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really honestly, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm more, I, I spend more time talking to Bennis than I do with Fraction, but oh. I consider Matt a friend as well. And I am really happy with, um, it just seems like since he left Marvel, he's now free to do everything that he wanted to do and was doing before his association with Marvel, but has the time and freedom to pursue those even more. And I think he's going in directions and and storytelling ways that uh i i don't know how much he even realized when you know he finally just found himself at the end of his marvel contract and is like you know something i'm gonna i'm gonna do my own thing and that's great remind, and, and you know never, what it's just yeah go ahead no go ahead I, w- I would never say this directly to him but maybe you'll hear this which is it reminds me a bit of when prince left warner brothers and had the true freedom to do whatever he wanted. That's what the position matters. And he's got the goodwill from having a number of hits that are yes. kind of, that have kind of defined the last 10 years. Hawkeye and his Iron Fist work with Brubaker and yes. Casanova is a comic that I'm in love with. That's a really important comic. Oh, absolutely. My God. Uh, he's, we've sort of seen him do his Purple Rain and Under the Cherry Moon and Diamonds and Pearls. And, <laughs> I'm excited for the next era. It's going to be really cool. As a fan, it's going to be really cool, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, everyone everyone loves sex criminals, but uh, I can't deny that my favorite of, of those immediate uh, post-Marvel projects was Satellite Sam, that with him and Shaken. And, uh, and Odyssey is certainly exciting as well. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, no, Matt is really... Like you said, I, I think the Prince analogy is pretty apt, actually. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah, the, the only thing that's holding him back is his own imagination. And he and Kelly Sue have really got it down to a science in terms of managing their creative careers as well. I think so. I think that's fair you to know? say. Yeah. You know, I think it comes through. I've gone to uh, – they've done a couple panels at conventions where they even talk about that. And that's kind of their pro tip is not so much helping you come up with your idea – but how to manage your time and, 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 you know, kind of make you, you execute your ideas. The idea stuff. is, you know, the idea is almost nothing. It's almost nothing. Cause we have a hundred ideas a day. Everyone does. It's the work yep. that goes into it and how you manage it. And, uh, I don't manage my career the way they do. I have a completely different approach and I'm sure 
history will reveal why I'm less successful because of that. Uh, I don't do it like them at all. Uh, and uh, but I'm very impressed with what they're doing. And obviously with Brian, um, that guy is five steps ahead of everyone. Oh yeah. And uh, he's oh, a yeah. leader. In the, he's a leader in the business. And so I love that he and Dave have become brothers. That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> it's just a wonderful thing to see. It makes me happy. No, I agreed. And and yeah, believe me, I, I you know I haven't talked much with Dave since since the collaboration began, but I have talked a lot with Brian. And you're a hundred percent right. And I I agree. And I know he really appreciates. Uh, Dave's talent and ideas oh. and is using them to the fullest and Marvel is using them to the fullest. And as you said, with fraction success, I mean, that seems to be the right formula for, for some, it's not for everybody, but in terms of, you know, having a, f- a few big hits with the big two and stuff like that certainly makes it easier to take that audience and, and lead them to your creator own work. And, and certainly, I mean, that's, I hope this happens for the both of you in terms of, what's going on with the joiners and stuff and whatever future plans. Let's talk about what you've got coming up. Uh, yeah. I mean, you touch on something that's kind of a sensitive point for me, which is like, um, do I have to now go do a superhero comic? Because I've had that opportunity dangled in front of me and several times. I mean, Arkea, pretty much anyone who came out of Arkea or had a success at Boom has the opportunity to pitch a series at Marvel or DC. If you want it, it's totally there for you because those companies are known as talent farms for mainstream comics. You know, people, it's easy to go. It's easy to make the leap from a successful Boomer Arcade book to a uh, new Marvel property. And I haven't done it yet. And uh, I I don't necessarily have a great reason why. I mean, I think my reason for not doing it yet has to do with uh, the things I need to be in place in that opportunity. And so if I, if I were to go work at DC or Marvel and these are opportunities that come around every year because these guys always have new publishing initiatives and they're always bringing in new people. The thing I've always looked for and hasn't quite been put in front of me is a project with a clear end date. I mean, the thing is if you have any kind of success as a periodical comic, at Marvel or DC, they want to keep it going, you know? Right. And that, that interferes with plans for my own work, you know? So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I've said no for a while and I've never pitched on any of these books. I've never got gone to the point where I threw in a pitch and they said, no, I've just heard possibilities put in front of me. And I have to say that, uh, maybe the readership is evolving where you don't need to really do that anymore. I mean, what do you think? What do you think? Well, this is the conversation I've been having for the last few months. And literally uh, the episode that, that uh, came before yours uh, with Tom King, I readdressed it as well. I think there's a new, I keep saying this and I'm sure my listeners are sick of it. I think there's a new normal as far Mm. as the entire comic market. And I do think that there is a very large, new segment of the audience that has no need to read Superman or Spider-Man or the X-Men or the Justice League or Batman, uh, mm. whatever, because two reasons. One, they might feel like the, what they're getting on uh, television and films is enough to satisfy that itch, but also um, that, no, they want they want stuff like Archaea makes. They want stuff that Vertigo makes, or more importantly, what what Image is currently doing now. 
um, where they're interested in uh, non-superhero concepts that are comics and stuff, but, you know, don't have nothing to do with superheroes. And um, I think that both DC and Marvel, I don't know if they, because they seem to operate as a business-as-usual standpoint, although DC will admit that they made mistakes in the last five years. That's the whole point of Rebirth. And I think what they're doing with Rebirth <laughs> is is in a better direction than what they've had in the last five years. Um, but if they think it's going to go back to the old numbers that there used to be, <laughs> I think they're kidding themselves. And I, I mean, even, even Tom King, Tom King, who, who had 350,000 copies for Batman number one that just came out this week as we're recording, um, he's like, yeah, we're doing fine now. Let's see what happens in six months or a year. Yeah. And I agree. And I and I totally agree. And I think, yeah, it's like if you guys think you're going back to the way things were back in when the first Civil War was out, even ten years ago, um, I think you're nuts. And I and I think it's a different comic market now. And they better get used to this new normal and accept um the levels of where the books are and it might mean that they're gonna have to decide to I don't know maybe cancel a bunch of books and that way they can continue to operate, but with less books coming out and they can still afford to, you know, pay the, the writers and artists that are able to perform at a certain level. But I, I just don't, I, I don't think it's going to go back to the old days because um, I think the price point is something that people contend with. I mean, this is a complicated question, but yeah, I mean, I think all these things are factors. And, um, and again, I think there are quality books that are coming out from the other publishers that aren't, do you know superhero things and especially in the case of image where a creator team can kind of call their own uh amount of money for each issue and are like you know something uh three dollars or 350 is enough and they make a decent living at doing that and stuff it's like watch out dc and marvel because um it's a competitive field out there and i think a lot of your lower tiered books are going to lose against that kind of competition well <laughs> yes I agree with everything you just said. I, I will say, with respect to DC, I've got a lot of friends who work there, who make their living there. I want to say that, as far as I can tell, that's a company that pays people fairly, which is a really important thing in our business. I mean, I think it's one of the most important things. Uh, you know, <clears throat> your, val- your value as a person can be tied up to your value, the value of your labor. And I think... I like hearing stories about people making the best salaries of their lives working for Warner Brothers at DC or for Marvel. Marvel pays really well, too. Um, that said, with DC, if you look at the results on paper, if you just look at the balance sheet for the comic book publishing operation over the last 18 months, if you look at the charts, uh, those numbers alone should justify people losing their jobs. Okay. That's just reality. There's been a major sales collapse there, and that yes. is a that's a leg of the table that the retail community really needs working at a higher sales quality or higher sales level than it has been. So something else must be going on here that Dan DiDio and Jim Lee and the other people who we keep hearing in the media sh- should be getting fired but aren't, by, aren't fired. And it's obvious that DC is a multi-dimensional company. They're involved in a lot of other things besides the comic book publishing operation, including big-budget feature films, a really robust licensing program. I mean, a licensing program that I've had people on the inside describe to me as 
a labyrinth. I mean, the number of products with DC characters on them worldwide is astounding. It's a, it's a shocking number. It's in the sure. It's in the thousands and thousands. And uh, then there's also a bookstore and collection business. So it isn't all just the monthly comics. And I think there's a lot of parts of DC that are working great. And we can bash Batman versus Superman all day. That movie made like $900 million worldwide. Sold a ton of tickets. No matter how you think it was executed, it sold a ton of tickets. There's, there's bigger fish in that pond than um, the print comics business. But I want to see that print comics business healthier. I think Rebirth is a really cool way to address that. I, I like what they're doing, which is uh, let's firm up the pillars of DC and in some cases double and triple ship certain sure. titles and, and, and you know flood the zone with the stuff that we know people want from us. And that can potentially build a great foundation. It sounds like the numbers are awesome. I think what they're doing is really cool. I don't see my place in that world right now, and I don't really see my place where, in where Marvel's going either. So I'm sort of pushing in my own direction for the next year in the sense that my next book is very long. I've been working on it for three years. It is uh, in the 500-page neighborhood, which wow. is, I mean, it's one of those things. I, I, you know, that was the process I had to start in early 2013 to get to the point where I'm ready to release this book next year. But I'm playing in a dangerous territory for comics people because I've invested a few years on this, and it's one big project. It's, it's not a bunch of IP. It's not a whole universe of different titles or anything. It's straight up one story that I'm taking quite a bit of real estate to tell with the artists I'm working with. And uh, it's a risk. It's a calculated risk, and I'm excited to see what happens with this. But, uh, I'm going to announce this book probably in the next six months. And uh, and the other hook with it is I'm bringing to readers an artist who they've never seen before. He's never been published before. And you will see a guy develop across 500 pages into a world-class talent. I'm really excited about that. That's To me, comics are comics art. You know, I think... Uh, I, sure. I, I like to think I'm in a secondary position to the artist, and I'm trying to make that clear in my work, but it's not really about me. They're, I'm the guy who's maybe doing the blueprint, but they're actually building the house. So. Uh, well, yeah, but again, well, to con- continue the uh, architectural uh, uh, analogy, it, the foundation, <laughs> though, is still a, a strong story. I mean, maybe. When Rucka. <laughs> when Rucka when Rucka and J.H. Williams introduced Batwoman, J.H. Yeah. Williams' art was incredible. But yeah. at the at the foundation, Greg still had to deliver a really interesting story, and he did. Because we, we went through that period in the 90s when art was 90% of the show. Sure. And it was 10% story. And it sucked. I mean, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. You name any image artist, and I appreciate them from an aesthetic art uh, you know, point of view. But a lot of that story, a lot of those stories suck. And, and I mean, maybe again, I'm, that's the old man in me talking. But So there's got to be that balance. And, and obviously you recognize that as well. What I wonder is the challenge of, of coming up with something new. And again, this is something I've talked about recently with a lot of the other creators. It's that first issue of giving enough story in that first issue to say, here you go, here's a full meal, if you want to continue the journey with us, this is we've laid out what our 
you know, basics are, and I and I, what what you have to watch out for, and again, this is my armchair quarterback point of view, is if you don't give enough in that first issue, and it's still just kind of a first chapter without enough payoff, then I really think you are asking a lot, and a, a lot of leader, you know readers might abandon and go, yeah, this is kind of interesting, but I didn't get enough from my first issue. See you later. And see, I hate that everything sort of hinges on the first issue. <laughs> you know, it's not. I don't think that's the best look for the kind of stories I want to tell right now. You know, I want to give you the whole thing at one time. You want to give, oh, so are you going to put out a graphic novel that's like 500 pages long? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's okay. I mean, that's, that's fine. That's like a novel, but I guess, the, yeah. the, you know, I guess I was looking more at the, yeah, Jesus Christ, 500 pages. Holy shit. What are you service? Yeah. Is. It's, uh, well, it's also, it, it was one of those things where the first several years I was, working on comics it was something i would always tell people never to do and i think i was performing reverse psychology on myself and tempting myself to try this and i'm going to do it once and see what happens you know and i'm pretty deep into it i'm pretty i'm I'm far enough along it that people you know people who i respect have gotten a chance to look at this work and uh they like it you know and it's led to other opportunities so as i've told you i am for the last several months i've been working in the producerial but not writer capacity on a television reboot of a really well-known classic superhero property. And uh, it's, you know, it's interesting to be on that side of the table too. And I hope that this gets announced this summer and I hope it all goes great. And I'm excited about the work we've done, but I think my work, my limited work in television reminds me of how much I love to work in comics and how exciting the comics medium is to me and how different it is from television. I mean, we're seeing a lot of different variations on the indie comics creator who goes off to make a television series. We're seeing, you know, Bendis spent 15 years getting powers on television, but it's on television now in a really interesting, unique, cool way. And I'm really impressed with what he and Oming have done. They've, they've uh, turned this into a living, breathing thing that, I don't see any reason why the Powers TV show can't go for five more years. They have Agreed. a captive captive audience with the PlayStation universe, and it seems to be very compatible to uh, people who are plugged into that e- ecosystem. And I've experienced it on Crackle, which is a great yes. secondary market for that show. Um, but then we've also had things like Colin Bunn had the six gun at NBC and they shot a pilot and no one has seen that pilot. We don't know if it's good. We don't know if it's bad. NBC certainly is capable of making idiotic wrong choices. I've seen them do it over over the last few years. Uh, (laughs) And I'd love to see a six gun TV series. Oh yeah. And then you've got preacher, which was, you know, going to be a movie for years and years. And now it's a TV show. And I'm kind of surprised that the TV show hasn't gotten higher ratings. How good it is. Um, and then you've got The Walking Dead, where I think a 90% of the audience doesn't give a fuck about the comic books at all. Um, they are engaged in a story that's being told by actors and television writers. So, and, and more power to Robert Kirkman that he can straddle both worlds. But I, I think, um, I, I feel in the world of these high-profile television development circles, uh, I am a foreigner, and I've, I'm bringing a comic book perspective them i'm not i'm not an expert on how to make a television show 
Well, and like you said, some of the some of the best stuff that like they start with amazing uh, comic books to to tell these uh, TV stories and stuff. No, sometimes you know, sometimes they fail. Constantine was mm. you know, I, I don't I don't think I, I really think ABC's uh, relationship with Marvel and Disney is very unique. And I and I mean, I'm glad that Shield is chugging along, but Agent Carter was a great show, and it just didn't find its audience. And I, you know, the CW is succeeding, but also the CW, its rating success is proportionate to its affiliate strength. And they don't Ooh. have the affiliate strength that, uh, you know, certainly the big three, and I would likely say Fox. I haven't seen the count of where Fox's local affiliates are as opposed to ABC, NBC, and CBS. Um, well, and even look at Supergirl. I mean, my God, Supergirl moves to the CW because what would be an obvious rating smash for CW uh, numbers is just okay for CBS. And given the amount of money it costs to make Supergirl, it wasn't enough. So yeah. I do think as, as, as much success as we're seeing with the other platforms, the, the streaming platforms and cable and basic cable and stuff, where it's a smaller audience, although with the exception of Walking Dead – which is doing, you know, big three network numbers on AMC and stuff. I mean, that's an exception. God, Mad Men, what a great series, not a comic book thing. But, you know, and, and very solid numbers. And every year it was like, well, do we keep doing this or not? And Matthew Weiner going, hey, fuck you, let me know. <laughs> Give me a goddamn green light so I can finish my story or tell me no so I can finish it as quickly as possible. But don't leave me in limbo like this. I yeah, mean, I, it's, it's interesting. Go ahead. I did... Uh... I did spend some time with Matt Weiner about three weeks ago at a family function. Family function. Uh, you know, we have we have some family connections. I actually thank him in the acknowledgement to the joiners in 3D because in 2004, I went. You know, when that guy was writing his second season on Sopranos, I went over to his house and he spent the afternoon with me figuring out a writing career for me and well, sort of really showing, nice. wow. showing me the ropes. Uh, and uh, and I just ran into him again at a small family pool party about, around, you know, in early May. And we were talking about everything and kind of updating each other. And we were talking about the end of Mad Men, which I loved. I loved how he ended that show. You loved Me that, too. right? Oh, yeah. That was a slam dunk. That's what we call a slam dunk <laughs> in uh, the parlance. And, uh, and when he was, uh, you know, we were talking about what's next. And he's like, well, you have to remember about Mad Men and me. He said this to me, and I'm quoting him egregiously on this show but what he said to me was he said what you have to remember is that that ending for Mad Men he's like I wrote that two and a half years ago now I'm dying to get back to work and now wow. do I know do I know exactly what he's working on no I don't and that's his private business but I can sure. see that this, this guy has such a fire inside of him and it's similar to what Bendis has I mean it's just like it's unstoppable you know, whatever is oh, yeah. whatever is next, it will be bigger than that. Then I guarantee you. That's excellent. No, and I'm thrilled with uh, what Brian's doing now. They they announced uh, Scarlet is in development at Cinemax. Love and that. No, his. Yeah, well, absolutely, and and I mean that's the thing. It's like like you said with Kirkman, Brian's kind of reaching that point now too, where hopefully it's like okay, Brian, what else do you want to do? What other ideas do you have? And I know he's got a great relationship with Sony in that way. So so that's huge. Uh, by the way, this is my first opportunity to say this. I've watched the first two episodes so far of Powers, 
And as good as the first season was, it is so much better this second season because of the changes that Brian even talked about here on Word Balloon, art direction, uh, different showrunner, and I, I just really think the proof is there. And, you know, I mean, it's very rare that a, that a series does get everything right in its first season. I really think that the show has taken a huge leap forward in the second season. And uh, I agree with you. I think, uh, no, very easily you could see five seasons, if not more, for Powers, as much as Sony is willing to spend. And I think that the concept is strong. And the actors are the actors are executing, man. I mean, my God, I think it's um, no, I think I think it's I think it's really doing great. Well, let's talk about that for a second because I think one of the cool things about season one was that it looked like a Bendis and Omen comic, and now you've got season two, which I've just seen episode one, but season two looks Bendis and Omen Omen-y. You know what I mean? Which is kind of interesting. That's that's a cool way to go, and I can see. You can see like Preacher could go in that direction too, where um, uh, the skeleton of the comic book visuals uh, gets put into place like a jigsaw puzzle almost, and, and it becomes more and more intrinsically part of the show. So, you know, having Michael Madsen play Super Shock, I think, is a stroke of genius. And, yes. Uh, yes. And there's a lot of little elements on that show that I really dig. Like, just in the trailer, what you see with Will Wheaton and what he's going to be doing is going to be pretty interesting, I think. And I've talked to Mike Oming about this. I really am a huge fan of that guy. And I love how he and Dave Marquez have also formed a really tight friendship, too. Mike Oming is a wonderful, saintly person, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that guy is just such a huge talent and also just has that winning personality where you meet that guy and you're, like, instantly rooting for him yep. to kick ass. It's a weird thing. I, I agree. You know, I, uh, I, I've, I've dropped a few hints here and there, but Mike and I separately are working on a, a project uh, for the History Channel. And, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, and, it's, and it was really funny how we both found out that each other were involved and we emailed it's like, Hey man, you're on this. And it's like, yeah, that's awesome that you are too. And, uh, no, I, I no, Mike's Mike is hilarious. And I, and I love him as a guy and I really respect the hell out of him as a storytelling artist. I, I think he's a great talent and I'm really glad that his career has worked out as well as it has because he's had his uh, ups and downs as great as he was. I mean, God, I really loved his stuff. Hammer of the gods. Wasn't it Hammer of the Gods? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, I mean, that's his, you know, that's his that, take on Thor. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yes, and and you know that that was my first introduction to him, even before Powers. So it was really like, oh, the guy who's writing Ultimate Spider-Man is working with the Hammer of the Gods guy. Okay, great. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what is really neat is he had out earlier this year the Omnibus. Do you know what this yes. is? Yes. So, so that book is the, the publication designer for that book is Tara Marquez, also known as Tara Rhymes, Dave's wife. So she collaborated with Mike for like a year putting that book together, and it's really neat. Know it's a it's a really offbeat. I, I strongly recommend that book because that that book to me is so oming. You know, it's just so his it's 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 like a it's like a case of it's like the essence of oming. You know what I mean? It's a lot of his work. It's a lot of his different work. So Powers number one is in there. There are also some very intriguing short stories that he's written. And I think that you get Mice Templar in there a little bit too. And sure. just his Parliament of Justice? Is, is Parliament of Justice in there? Yep. Yep. 
Um, there's some awesome stuff in there. Great book. That's yeah. a book I strongly recommend everyone seek out. It's like a similar to Word Balloon by John Funtress. It is sort of the graduate level course in comics and sort of how to make it in comics. You know, just like the. I mean, before I made my comics, I listened to the show to get a handle on what I was in for in the mainstream or sort of in the alt-mainstream, which is where I've made a home. Um, and there's a lot of information in that book, too. Oh, thanks, man. I'll take the comparison. That's really nice. No, you know, I yeah. mean, I I try to let – I want I want to know, as I said before, if because I, I – and, you know, I'm, I'm letting some critique of me uh, influence what I'm about to say. Because some people are like, oh, if you just want to hear uh, a guy uh, talk about books that he likes – and and that's it. Go ahead and listen to Word Balloon. And it's like, mm. man, you do not get what this show is. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, and if that's all they're looking for is, you know, a bunch of guys critiquing books. No, that's not what this show is. I, I try to provide the forum for you guys to kind of talk about your adventures in comics. And yeah. and really, as you're making the stuff, the, 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 uh, the things you have to contend with to make your stories, the successes and the failures, and however much you're willing to be candid about, you know what's going on is you guys try to pursue your creative endeavors. I mean, I, that's that's yeah. that's the point of the show. So great, thank you. And I and I, I'll take like I said, I'll take that because yeah, Mike, I I think you're right. Mike is a really interesting creator. I think a lot of his ideas on their own are as interesting as his collaborations as well. And I'm glad that he and Brian collaborate as much as they do because I think they do great work together. But um, no, Mike is strong. And also, again, this second season of Powers. Um, Brian was saying that he's like, I just don't feel like it's omingish enough because for me, everything was too sunlight. Everything was mm. happening too much in the daytime. And it's like, where are the shadows? Where are the back alleys? Where's the, the darkness? We got there by the end of the first season, but I, I really think that this, this season is much more noirish and in, in the right way. And again, more reflective of oming style. I think it's, it's been tricky to, and I, I'm not Speaking based on anything Oming or Bendis have said to me or said to Dave that's come back to me, but I think in general, from what I hear, Atlanta, everyone's shooting there because it's an excellent tax deal and there are facilities sure. there. I think that the uh, the community there has been stretched a bit by the limitations of finding enough great crew to work. I'm talking below the line. Sure. I'm talking about your, your camera operators, your yes. lighting guys that kind of stuff. Those all have to be local hires. And it was great when the walking dead was there five years ago and nothing was shooting there except Tyler Perry movies. Uh, and now, <laughs> now, Mar you know, that's a production base for Marvel along with London. They're Marvel's making, yeah. I think they're making uh Spider-Man there and infinity war, if that makes any sense. Uh, and uh, you've also got a number of TV shows there now. And uh, I think powers, They've changed their crew since season one. That we can say yes. that there's a different show. I think there's a lot of Ben Elton, who's a genius writer. Ben Edlund, fantastic. Or Ben yes. Ed, Ben Edlin, sorry, is writing on that show too. I mean, I think it's and the writers' room is in Los Angeles, so that's not quite addressing the problem that I, I see there. But I think the longer you plant your flag in Atlanta, the better people are going to come to your project, from what I've heard. So uh, I'm sure it just gets better and better, and I wish those guys had yeah. ton of success. I mean, as much as you can get. I think. It's, by the way, I think they're in a great protected zone with PlayStation, where they don't have sponsors or networks breathing down their neck. They just have to deliver, yep. 
something that that audience is willing to keep coming back and watching. And clearly, that's what's going on, and that's an outsider's perspective looking in. I'm not an insider no, on that show. You're right, and and I mean, it, it spent ten years at, at at FX in development, and much like you said that there was a pilot of the Six Gun that we're never going to see. There's a Powers pilot that FX made that we'll never see. Was shot here in Chicago, and it had yep. Jason Patrick and uh, oh Lucy God, Punch. what's her name, Lucy, Lucy Punch. Thank you, exactly. And, I think Chai, uh, oh McBri- God, Chai McBride was in there too. I think. Wasn't I'm he? not. I don't remember that name, but I know uh, uh, Charles Dutton was in it. And uh, Charles Dutton, sorry. So I was confusing him. And then also, um, oh God, uh, Bullet Tooth Tony, uh, the old the soccer player that uh, has become a character actor in all these movies. Okay, he's in all the Guy Ritchie movies. Hey, by the way, I haven't seen that pilot. I heard it was cool. I heard it was a totally dope pilot. It was just more like, you know, FX. FX, you know, it's a big deal to get FX to oh sure to trigger on a series. There's a lot they develop that doesn't that doesn't Did you? fit for them. Did you see um, last year uh, the Billy Crystal, Josh Gad? The comedians. Comedy? I liked it. I liked I it enough. Cool I didn't think people it was who liked it. Yeah. Well, I well that's good, and I feel better about it because yeah. and actually Brian didn't like it, and Brian and I think Brian's a cool person too. But we talked about that, and he's like, "Yeah, I didn't like it." And he goes, "You know," and he's the first one to tell me. He's like, "Did get picked up?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's too bad." But again, no, I know. Um, I mean, that's why FX has the success that it does. They really take their time, and they really wait until oh, they yeah. get something right before they put something out. Yeah, I think so, that, you know, FX uh, is uh, – they need to be – because Fox doesn't own an HBO, they are kind of Fox's HBO. Absolutely. So they have to – similar to these mid-sized comic book companies like Boom and IDW and uh, Image – the hits have to be like so zeitgeisty and cutting edge and like perfectly yes. executed. So there's just no, there's like very little wiggle room for mistakes uh, when you need to, you need to every quarter have an American or an American horror story or OJ crime story or Game of Thrones. And we've seen what happens when that doesn't work. It's vinyl, you know, where the show that you put up as the cutting edge <laughs> show doesn't quite connect. And the numbers are low, and they're going to have to revamp that show now to get people to come back to it if they want it to keep going. I agree um, with you. That's and they, so they already have. Terrence Winter, the showrunner, is not involved in that show anymore, which is crazy to me. Wow. But, uh, yeah, he's That's off. the guy That's for public. people who don't know, amazing Sopranos writer, the guy who show ran Boardwalk Empire. So Wolf of Wall Street, too. And we were, oh, I totally forgot about Wolf of Wall Street. There you go. No, that's really interesting. And I felt, dude, I work, I don't know if you know this, my day job has changed. And since December, I've been working, it's the same group of radio stations, but now I work directly for the classic rock station of the three stations I work for. And um, I was really like, hey, man, we got to get behind vinyl because this is the core of the music we're playing. And... I have to agree with you. I, I really went into it with the best intentions of I'm going to love this. And it was like, well, it's okay. And then, and especially like even the first episode kind of, there were parts of it that I, I wasn't crazy about. I love Bobby, uh, Car- what's his name? Car- uh, Carnival? What's Carnivale. Carnival. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing. And great cast. Um, a lot of good ideas, but it, it was definitely missing something. And yeah, it's interesting to, know that Terrence Winter's not part of the mix, but yeah, you're right. It's going to, I mean, they kind of are like, well, we got to at least give it another season, but yeah. is it, 
that's an interesting failure, or I wouldn't say failure because it's not done yet. We'll see what happens in the second season. But remember Luck on HBO, the horse race sure. show? Loved that show. Well, that Weird was a show. Brilliant show. Brilliant show. Uh, and the really I know it got, show. Well, it's clearly from a... Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Why was it risky in your mouth? <laughs> well, I think that that was a show that was great, but I think it it was, you know, I'm 41, and I have a guess as to how old you are, but you don't need to say it on air. But I think it was aimed at people older than us, if that makes yes. any sense. Like, I think oh, Michael Mann like... is about 68 years old, and David Milch is close to 70, and I think they made a show that really appealed to their inner selves and, uh, you know, HBO, the bread and butter of HBO is not in old white men. It's in young people. You're right. um, no, you're also so that, Valley. the stuff that's really clicking at HBO is Silicon Valley girls, which yes. by the way, do not have the biggest numbers in HBO history, but they have the most buzz and buzz is more important than numbers for HBO's subscription. Yes. Business. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. That's the analysis of a total idiot. <laughs> no, but you're, you're, well, you're not, you're, you're not too much of an idiot when it comes to that because you're hundred percent right. And that's why we don't get number uh, numbers from Netflix and Amazon prime yeah. and, uh, and all these streaming services. It's all about buzz. You're a hundred percent right. And uh, no, that's, I'll give you another FX show that I loved that didn't make it. The boxing show lights out. Great show. Cool, cool show. Do you watch Kingdom? <laughs> Do you know the show Kingdom? Kingdom? Kingdom is on the Audience Network on DirecTV. It's the MMA I don't get show. Yeah, I don't have Direct. I have uh, Comcast or Xfinity. I don't have DirecTV. Sure. I wish okay. I had. Well, you can find the show in other ways if you need to. I think there's I ways of finding the show. But you have you heard of the show? It's Frank Grillo is the lead. who was Crossbones in Civil War. No, tell me about Kingdom. What, what's it's, it about? It's created by Byron Velasco, who is a former writer of, ooh, he's been on some really killer shows, uh, killer mainstream network shows as a, as a writer, supervising producer. Like, I want to say stuff like Grey's Anatomy. Or, I'm just forgetting okay. what his signature show was. But it's his show. He's a young guy, pretty young writer. And uh, it is about a, a father who runs an MMA-oriented gym in uh, Venice Beach, and he's got he's got some real troublemaker sons. One kid is a golden boy, potential MMA champ. The other one is a total nightmare, bad-behaving kid who also is a promising fighter. And if you like Lights Out, that's a show to seek out. And it's really beautiful. Oh, cool. And smart, smart cast. Frank Grillo is a pretty amazing performer as a lead. We haven't totally seen him a lot. He was in Purge oh, okay. 2. He's, he's terrific in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, as the, one of yes. the villains in that. Oh, my God, Re- yes. Really good and really menacing, and he really goes toe-to-toe with the Marvel superheroes. And so I, I, that's a TV pick I, I strongly recommend. I think we're right in the middle of season two right now, or it's almost wrapping up. All right, I'm going to look for Kingdom. That's good to know. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm so bummed. What's that channel again? That's the audience network, which is, I think it's channel 101 on DirecTV. Right. Okay. Because, yeah, I've heard, I mean, I know um, Joe Buck has a talk show on there as yep. well. And Yeah. I, no, I hear great things about audience. And, yeah, sadly, it's not on Xfinity, so I don't get it. And I've heard a lot of great things about a lot of their programming. So that doesn't surprise me. And, yeah, it's, well, you know. Well, that's AT&T money. So they're, they're going to continue to put, you know, tens of millions <laughs> a quarter 
into original programming there, it's worth it for them. I mean, this cable isn't dead yet. You know, it's still a big business. It's still, we've still got a ton of people who, because of sports, exactly because because of sports, they pay a monthly cable bill. Yep. The hundreds of dollars or a hundred dollars. You're and, right. Uh, and that gets that gets them access to all these 400 scripted television. Pretty much most, except for the Netflix, Hulu, and PlayStation, all that stuff. But it gives you access to hundreds of scripted original shows every year. Now, with this preponderance of all these scripted shows, you, we are seeing a lot of comic book people are coming into television for the first time. Yes. Ed, Brubaker, Ed Brubaker's writing on Westworld, and a lot yep. of these guys are doing interesting stuff. But I, I'm sort of coming out of that culture, and you know, when I talk to my agent about this, he seems to sort of see things a similar way, which is, I just come out of it like, it's so much cooler to have a hit book now than it is to have a television show. I'm sorry, I mean, it's just, it's harder, it's more of a singular achievement, there's less luck involved, um, and it's something you can really stand behind. And I'm still looking for that, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I tend to be more impressed now with someone who can pull off something on the page and get it to readers. Like, I think what Fraction and Zardsky, you know, Chip, yeah. Steve Murray, <laughs> a.k.a. Steve Murray, what they have done with <laughs> sex, what they've done with sex criminals is cooler than what anyone can do in television, you know, period. And what Kelly oh, no, Sue's done with it, but Kelly Sue's done with Bitch Planet is like, whoa, people in yeah, television, absolutely. Like, they're, they're looking, I, I go into meetings and people talk about that comic in particular as being like, how the hell does someone even come up with that or figure that out or make it work? And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm trying to figure that out myself. <laughs> no, I understand. But everyone you've mentioned, though, has also had that hit book. And now is just, sure. you, know, you know, so for them, the TV world is new. And that's absolutely. why, I mean, you know. <laughs> So, so that's great. I mean, that, no, that's cool, and I and I I agree, and I, I see the benefits of both sides. And you know, I don't know when this bubble bursts. I really don't. We're the oversaturation point because I'm not of, of I'm that, not an expert either. I have no idea either. <laughs> but I mean, in the meantime, we can you know appreciate the embarrassment of riches. And uh, is Kingdom? Uh, did they release it on DVD? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, then yeah, I can. I, yeah, I can. Season- I so I don't have to steal it. I can actually watch. I can actually buy it. Well, I mean, you know, it's also where we've got this binge watching situation. I don't think stealing is such a stress for these guys anymore because the stealing will eventually lead to you pulling up on the on ramp of watching the show the second it comes out. You know, sure. And sure. The, the stealing is sort of like streaming. It sort of gets you there, gets you caught you up. That. You know, and so we're no, not here. We're I, I'm in Hollywood. I'm going to TV meetings and going to these companies. And I'm not hearing a lot of people complain about piracy of television, television shows so much as I'm hearing how do we monetize an audience of 500,000 super loyal viewers? And what the, what I, the answer I hear back is we've got to keep making this content available on all the different platforms. You know, so powers may start on PlayStation. But, you know, season one migrates to Crackle or migrates to home video. It's this long tail we've been hearing about. <clears throat> Eventually, we're all going to sort of pick up on the shows we like, you know, which we most famously that happened with Breaking Bad, which was a small borderline success for its first two seasons. Then people experienced it offline, if you will, or off live. Sure. And suddenly it's an important show, you know. Interesting. No, honestly, man, I appreciate the perspective because – this is what I hope for when I do talk to Brian and Jeff Loeb and 
you know, the, the players that are in there that are, that are dealing with this stuff. Joe Henderson as well. Another, another good show. Lucifer was very, I, I was knocked just me had out. him on your show. He was just on your show. Yeah. Right? No, Joe, I'm really happy like for three Joe. Weeks the, ago. Oh, you heard it three weeks ago. That's fantastic. It, it, is, is Lucifer coming back? I have no idea. Is that yes. coming back? Oh, wow. Yes. Impressive. No. And I mean, and that's the thing, you know, Joe cut his teeth on those USA shows. And I think USA really kind of cracked the code on how to make fun, you know, TV shows and stuff. It's Although I have to say their, la- their last crop of newer shows, I'm not as into as I was. I, I mean, Royal Pains is in its last season. I love that show. I loved Monk. I loved, uh, you know, <laughs> Royal Suits Pains is a Royal Pains is incredibly amusing. It's such a witty, yes. funny show. And those it, it's similar to Suits, which is also good. And I think you and I yes. have talked about Suits before. But those, those shows are just uh, the writer's room, I think, operates very similarly to Monk, which is they keep those shows really pure. And you. You're not going to get sideswiped by those shows. The product is there. I love Monk. Yep. I'm a Monk guy through and through. And there's oh my god, so yeah, no, I, so much amazing, amazing writing talent on that show. It's kind of mind-boggling, but yeah, USA USA is considered to be one of the best-run companies in town. So it's a, it's a company where everyone wants to work. So obviously they're doing something right. There you go. And Joe and you know Joe came from that uh, arena. He was white collar, and then he did Graceland. And then and then uh, Lucifer came around and it's like yeah. good for you Joe go and and, and not, really I like, haven't seen Lucifer but I have friends who tell me it's pretty good it got good it was better than Constantine all that yes. stuff well, you then, like the show you know I I love I love the comic and the show is it's really very different from the comic in in the best possible ways and it's just it's funny and I mean I always loved. Uh, the original concept of Lucifer, the way Gaiman did it, and then Mike Carey, my God, what an amazing comic that it was and everything. And it's different. It's just funny. And it's like, oh, this is really good. And I mean, I don't. I wonder how Vertigo purists feel about it, because I really haven't had that conversation with a lot of Lucifer comic fans. But I thought it was hilarious. And it's like, no, this is what it needs to be. And especially Fox was smart putting it with X-Files. And mm. and you know it it just worked it really the combination worked and then you know God what what a great lead in first you know the X Files event of the first six those six episodes and then leading into Gotham the you know seven episodes of Gotham and it's like good for you guys go so Gotham I got to admit I'm I'm kind of disappointed in I don't know how well you feel Go- about Gotham. Gotham they seem to be on a track where they can reinvent themselves each year true. You know? Uh, and that and the Batman mythos kind of lends itself to that. I think Bruno Heller yes. who runs that show. Is he's from the uh, Mentalist and Rome? That guy's a strong leader. He he his way in to the material is more important than being pure to DC with the way that show's set up. I mean that sure. show's set up it's set up to be Bruno's show. So that's not a guy I'm going to bet against. You know I'm not like a, a Gotham regular watcher. I've checked the show out. There seems to be a level of integrity there that is a notch higher than the CW shows. You know, as far as I can tell. I do. No, I understand, and I and I see what you're saying, and don't disagree. Um, I just kind of feel like uh, I, I just I don't know. It's it's not getting to me, and I'm watching it the same way that I watched most of the final season, like or I should say the middle seasons of Smallville. 
where I'll watch the pilot or I'll watch the first episode of the new season. I might catch one or two during the season and I'll make sure I catch the finale. So I, so I stay in touch with the big story, but as far as the individual stuff, it doesn't get me. And I've got coworkers who don't read comics who love Gotham and every week are telling me, Oh, but this really interesting thing happened. And who is Hugo strange? And they'll, they'll drop names like that. And it's like, Oh, that's cool. And I hear really good things about Gotham. And I, and I'm not a, I'm not a purist where it's got to be, you know, directly from the comics, but I don't know. There's just something that, like I said, when, when Supergirl came on opposite Gotham, my, I mean, and I, and shame on me for, you know, making it this small as far as Gotham, but I'm like, do you want to watch an 11 year old kid scratch his nose and go, Oh, that kind of is the way Batman would scratch his nose. Or do you want to see Supergirl being Supergirl right now within the first 10 minutes of the show? And I'm like, I'm going to vote for Supergirl. And that's kind of what happened with me. The Supergirl pilot is fantastic. I love it. Yep. I thought they did a great job of it. I, you know, I, I have only so many hours of the week to watch a show, so I'm usually like a one show at a time kind of Me guy. Too. But, uh, you know, I want all these to be successful, but also I'm, I am intrigued by the questions about what, it, what does this do to the comic book audience? Does this really bring people to comics? And, you know, my medium of choice is comics. And uh, I'm really, really focused on that. You know, and any television stuff or any of the extra stuff, it's just gravy. It's it's a sec- it's the part time weekend job nights and weekends kind of job for me, <laughs> and what I'm really focused on is, is putting out the books, like the joiners in stores now, and it's going to be every 30 days this summer. So I hope my friends, the listeners out there, will come to the table and uh, watch a family fall apart. Absolutely, man, <laughs> and do it monthly. Yeah, it's in 30 day increments. No, yeah. honestly, I. I uh, like I said, man. If I didn't like the book, we wouldn't be talking. Thank uh, you. Absolutely. And and when the 500 page magnum opus comic is ready to be talked about, uh, you you're welcome back. And I'd want to hear what this uh, this new project is. And also, I know it's the gravy. I know it's the weekend job. But uh, when you're able to talk about the TV stuff, I want to hear about that as well. I I think I would love to just pop by the second after it's announced, and then we can talk all the nitty gritty about it and who's involved. Cool. And stuff. And maybe, by the way, it's television. It can totally fall apart at any moment. <laughs> well, I was wondering. In terms you know of, how that is. Oh yeah, no, I realize that as well, and I hope that uh, I hope everything does work out because, uh, you know, it, I'm I'm always happy to hear about a new uh, TV uh, comic book related project. That's good. So I you know, think, fingers uh, crossed. I think you're gonna love what we're doing. Excellent, if man. Ever, well, if congratulations. the light of day, you're going to love it. <laughs> Excellent, man. Well, you know, hey, I'm glad that uh, Joiners is back out for people, and hopefully some fresh eyes will hit it. Uh, first issue came out this week as we're recording, so uh, it's already on the stand, so make sure you go to your local store and, and look for it or get them to order uh, issue one. And uh, in 30 days, you'll get issue two, and it's, uh, like you said, four issues. So uh, a good summer of a, of a dysfunctional, futuristic family falling apart. You got it. Dude, pleasure as always, and uh, come back soon. Thank you, John, very much. That's R.J. Ryan. Make sure you check out The Joiners, a great series from Boom Studios, uh, mid-run uh, right now, but uh, an excellent series worth your attention, and that's why we talked to him. Great talking to Josh, and uh, looking forward to our next conversation very soon. Word Balloon is brought to you today by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Some tremendous deals are happening now at InStock Trades, including uh, how about 42% off Southern Bastards, Volume 3, Homecoming. Great book from Jason Aaron and Jason Latour. 
uh, 42% off, $8.69. You can get Harley Quinn's Greatest Hits uh, trade paperback. Uh, that's uh, 45% off, only $5.49. Uh, one of the big hits for DC uh, has been uh, Marguerite Bennett's uh, great series, DC Comics Bombshells. You can get Volume 2, Allies, at a very reduced price, 45% off, just $9.34. Suicide Squad, John Ostrander and Luke McDonald, wonderful work. Also, Paul Kupperberg is uh, involved. John Snyder III, uh, an artist, on uh, this volume of Suicide Squad. This is the Janice Directive. It is 45% off and only $10.99. From Brian Bendis and Alex Maleev, you can get Scarlet Book One. You might have heard Scarlet has uh, now been greenlit and will be a Cinemax TV series. This is Volume 1, 45% off. It's just $10.99. Just a few of the great deals happening at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Go to their website. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping from our friends at InStockTrades.com. John Sutcher saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your support via Patreon. And uh, San Diego Comic-Con is upon us. I've got uh, a a panel at the library on Thursday at 3 o'clock and then uh, one in the convention center Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. The Thursday panel is the early history of comic book films. I'm going to reach back to the silent era and also uh, uh, talk about a few films from the 40s and 50s that are really neat and absolutely are comic book uh, inspired. And I uh, hope you'll enjoy them. Not about the cliffhangers. These are movies that you might not uh, realize are uh, movies that actually are very much about uh, the geek culture as it was in the 1950s in particular. So Trevor Goring is joining me. Trevor is a wonderful storyboard artist and comic book artist in his own right. And you might know him from his work on Thor The Dark World and the original Fantastic Four movie from the early 2000s. Not the Roger Corman one, the the pretty good one with uh, Jessica Alba and Chris Evans and Michael Chiklis. Uh, also uh, Watchmen, Constantine. So it's going to be great to get uh, Trev's uh, perspective on that period of comic book films. But uh, I think you're going to enjoy our discussion. And that will be uh, Thursday at the library at 3 o'clock. Saturday morning at 10.30, it's me and Sal Abinani talking about uh, purchasing original comic book art. And uh, Sal's an expert in this field. And I am going to ask him the questions that we all ask in terms of, is it you know out of reach? Uh, can we get original art? Is there a way to, to uh, collect this at a reasonable price? And, uh, you know, just any of your questions that you might have if you're already a, a comic art collector. So uh, Sal's a great expert, and I'm really looking forward to this and some of the examples he's going to show. All of that happening at San Diego Comic-Con this week. I hope to see you there. If you are a Word Balloon listener and you're at San Diego Comic-Con, I hope you do come up and say hello. Give me a chance to thank you personally for uh, listening to Word Balloon and supporting the show. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.